0: Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today, Maggie and I are going to be discussing a book that we both recently read called Reading the Bible Again for the First Time by Marcus Borg. This is, it was really a great discussion about about the Bible, the book itself, how we viewed the Bible growing up, um, how we view the Bible now, some different lenses through which um, Borg recommends that we can see the Bible now,
1: Chris, you left out the subtitle of this book. So it's, you know, reading the Bible again for the first time, but the subtitle is taking the Bible seriously, but not literally. I think in culture right now, there is still a lot of tension between, you know, what does it mean to be the inerrant word of God? um, Or, you know, talking about, we talked about this in the, today in the podcast about what does it mean to be divinely inspired yet written by humans? And so I feel like we just need to like, put this disclaimer on this entire conversation and it is going to be more than one part because it was such a long conversation to all the listeners out there um we encourage you to give it a listen and and uh, you know kind of decide for yourself what you agree with and what you don't agree with and and uh, it's okay to like feel uncomfortable it's okay to feel a little mad you know that we're kind of talking about this um but you know please you know have a conversation with somebody about this uh kind of process through and and uh, you know, at the end of the day, you get to decide for yourself. You know what you believe and what you don't believe. And Chris and I are just talking through uh, one man, Marcus Borg's, you know, views on all of this.
0: Yeah, um, I would also recommend uh, getting a copy of the book and reading it yourself. And you can really see how how he lays out his arguments. And even go to YouTube and. Find some videos of Marcus Borg. Um, he is now deceased, unfortunately, but you can go back and, and find videos of him uh, talking at churches um, years ago, and just hear how 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 genuine and loving and kind he is in his views on on Christianity and the Bible.
1: And also, we would love to hear from you what you think about all of this. So feel free to send us an email. You know, it's uh, links to the book and and other books that we've mentioned are all in the are in the show notes, and so is our email address. So shoot us an email. We'd love to hear what you think. Start a dialogue about it. So Chris, today we're gonna talk about this book by Marcus Borg called Reading the Bible Again for the First Time. And you recommended this book to me a couple of months ago. And uh, I finally read it. And uh, this is going to be such a great conversation to kind of talk through this book. Can you tell us a little bit about how you discovered this book? And then then we'll like jump right into everything that Borg talks about.
0: Yeah, I was given this book by a a friend of mine at my previous church. Um, He he was definitely um, an out of the box thinker. Um, I I think if I had met him 10 years ago, I would say this guy's out in left field he's quite liberal and um i don't even think i could talk to this guy because he's we have nothing in common so but you know this was just a couple of years ago when he gave this book to me uh and he said i think you might enjoy this book because he and i had a few conversations about my changing beliefs um it's funny because the uh one of the priests at the church had already told me in another conversation, just unrelated to this, that I should be aware of Marcus Borg because, because Marcus Borg was very, you know, heterodox, um, unorthodox. And so when my friend Michael gave me this book, I thought, Ooh, Marcus Borg, that sounds great. Um, so I, I really enjoyed reading it and I mean, it, it kind of gave me words and, and, a uh, frameworks to, um, To kind of put on the bible that i had already been thinking about and been feeling and but i didn't really know how to how to phrase it and i didn't i really didn't even know that viewing the bible uh, in a different way than what i was raised was possible
1: yeah it's interesting i've had so many conversations with uh, people that in a lot of ways they want to question the bible they want to uh, have a different view of it. But for them, it's just it's been put in this box. And uh, even the idea that, you know, reading the Bible the way that the Jews did, you know, which was um, a little bit more open handedly, just really kind of scares people a lot, um, because it's just so Different from what's been ingrained in them, and and I know for me, I loved what I loved about this book is again, it kind of affirmed what I had been hoping that I was allowed to think about the Bible, but at the same time, it also it brought up a lot of more questions for me that I was able to kind of start thinking through, and um, which I think is just so important. And I think that God can handle all of it, all of our questions and whatnot.
0: Yeah the Bible the Bible has been put on a pedestal and you know, I got to the point where I was starting to think, okay, do I w- want to worship God or am I worshiping the Bible? And so, you know, a lot of those questions I was, I was having and, and this book from Borg has kind of helped me to wrestle with those and, and find answers that are both intellectually and spiritually satisfying to me.
1: When I was in seminary, I took, you know, I took the basic hermeneutics and I took biblical themes and, you know, we, because at seminary, you know, you read the Bible, you, you learn how to study the Bible. And uh, my hermeneutics class was was fine. There was nothing wrong with it, but um it it didn't talk the way that Borg talks about. And uh, you know, I had another class that offered books from like Walter Brueggemann and uh, you know, other people that were out of the box thinkers that could have been considered um, you know, too liberal, you know, to put that in quotes or whatnot, and um, and that's what I liked about Borg, and I kind of wish that we had used this book in my hermeneutics class, just to say, here's another way, you know, um, another option for you to consider. You get to decide at the end of the day what this means to you. Uh, that's your relationship with God, but here is an option, and I think being in seminary, so many people don't even realize that they're going through a process of deconstruction because they're learning so many different things about the Bible and God. And it's just a lot to kind of sort through in a lot of ways. And, uh, and so this book probably would have uh, um, been really affirming for a lot of people that find themselves in seminary and uh, have questions.
0: I think a lot of seminaries, at least in, in the evangelical stream are, are going to teach you the traditional evangelical ways of seeing the bible you know there but but if you went to um a seminary of say you know in in the mainline protestant denominations like you know maybe the united methodist or the um episcopal seminaries you're probably going to learn more about other ways of seeing the bible than you would in in those evangelical seminaries
1: yeah, I uh, I used to go to a church that was formerly Southern Baptist, but uh, then became United Church of Christ (UCC), and and that was such a great place for me to be at that time when I was kind of discovering my faith, because they talked about a lot of these things that Borg talks about, and then I eventually switched churches, and uh, I never heard anything like this again, you know, and uh, so I kind of I feel like that was a really good foundation for me to have at that church
0: well that's quite a transition from Southern Baptist to United Church of Christ
1: yes it is they uh, they actually got kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention and in a lot of ways that was kind of their their middle finger <laughs> to go all the way over to UCC and and it's been a really great fit um, for okay. for that church as well Good. Uh, since then so having that foundation at that church of a uh, hey, there's a lot of metaphor and there is um, a lot of things that were written for people in that time that might not necessarily apply to us. And And thinking about the Bible in that way, again, was really freeing. And then I went to a church that um, I would say that they have shifted away from this now, but at the time it was very, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And so now getting to return to some of what I learned at that UCC church has actually Uh, been very affirming in a lot of ways, um, especially walking through seminary um, and deconstructing and and all of that. And then uh, there's a lot which we'll talk about a lot in this book that even sent me down an even deeper rabbit hole of, uh, you know, what is what is the Bible? And so um, anyway, so I just I'm so glad for the recommendation, Chris.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been really great book. And since I read this one, this is my first Borg book I I read another book that he wrote called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. And that one, you know, if you want to go down another rabbit hole, that'll be the one.
1: (laughs) Okay, so let's start off with, uh, you know, how did you used to view the Bible and how do you see it now?
0: Well, I, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church and the Bible was seen as the word of God in quotes, you know. It is God's word. It's no different than if God was actually speaking it. And, you know, I don't think that I ever heard this specifically or explicitly, but I, I picked up this idea that the Bible is basically God took the writer's hands and actually wrote the words on the page. And so everything had to be taken as 100% truth. I never questioned any of the miraculous things that we read in the Bible, um, I just took them as fact. And I think deep down as I entered, you know um, in my teenage years and uh, into my 20s, I maybe I had some suspicion about those things. but I always answered it with, well, God can do whatever God wants. Um, but I finally stopped explaining away those doubts and I started looking critically at the Bible, which at first was pretty scary. Uh, But then I realized that the Bible can come alive in a new way when you look at it metaphorically instead of scientifically or literally.
1: Yeah, that's good. Um, I think, you know, growing up in a, you know, semi-Catholic household, you know, we, um, you know, my, my dad never once talked about the Bible, you know, outside of Actually, I don't think my dad ever talked about the Bible. Um, you know, we would go to mass and they would read it. But, you know, even, you know, I don't know how much he was really bought into any of that. Um, and of course, in my mom, you know, we we had like my my dad's family Bible or whatever. But I think I opened it one time and was like, wow, these are really you know, tiny font and I closed it. And I remember that was probably around like second grade or so. Um, so I just wasn't really that interested. And then, and then I was atheist for so long, I just had no interest at all in reading the Bible, but I really just thought it was a bunch of like hooey. And, you know, then I became a Christian and, and I was told, you know, this is, this is the most important thing, you know, and, uh, um, you know, and then I just kind of said, all right, like I, for a while I was pretty hungry of like reading the Bible and like, okay, this is teaching me about God. This is teaching me about Jesus. And, uh, um, some of the things I didn't like, I just was kind of like, well, okay, you know, either way, I guess that's fine. Then I started going to that UCC church and, uh, and I remember them saying at one point, uh, in Sunday school that the book of Job was probably a sermon like the entire book of Job was probably written as a a parable. It's not literal. And I was just like, what? Like, can can the whole thing be that way? And then I guess I just sort of lost that, you know, Um, I forgot about it in a lot of ways because I was going to this other church where it was very much, you know, the, the entire church service culminates, you know, is leading up to uh, the, the reading of the Bible, the reading of the scriptures, um, and uh, so that's kind of the most important thing in a church service. And I just, you know, heard a lot about, well, Jesus is who he says he is, and if you don't believe the Bible, then you know, then you're not a Christian. And I think that just kind of renewed my mind in that way, not in the good way. And now I would say that, you know, and and I honestly, this is the second time I've ever said this out loud because the only other time I've said this is to my spiritual director. <laughs> um, and she was so gracious, but in a lot of ways, you know, the, the Bible to me is important because it teaches me about the character of God and the character of Jesus. And in a yeah. lot of ways it can end there.
0: Yeah. And I, I have said for the last few years, I, I think that um, that Christianity, Christians might do well to put the Bible on a shelf for a generation or two and just learn how to love each other and and then maybe pick up the Bible once you learn how to love each other. But, you know, the Bible has, has caused so much harm throughout history that, yeah. So that's being honest. Um, you know, that's... <laughs> Um, so that's, that's me being a little vulnerable too is the, in the way I see the Bible. So let's dive into some of the things that Borg talks about when uh, talking about the Bible. And one of the main ideas he talks about is two different ways of seeing the Bible. Um, one of those ways can be the literal factual way, and the other is the historical metaphorical way. And the literal, the, the literal factual, which is hyphenated, literal factual, is what the Bible says is what actually happened. Um, and the fundamentalist Christians and evangelical Christians see the Bible this way. Um, and I heard uh, Michael Bird, who is an Australian theologian, say that biblical inerrancy, this idea that there are no errors in the Bible, comes from this literal way of reading the Bible and Um, It's a very modern way of seeing the Bible. Um, It's not been the way that the church has read the Bible throughout history. Um, And it's also uniquely American. So, you know, we have that to be proud of. And then the other contrasting way that Borg talks about is the historical metaphorical way. And that is reading the Bible in its historical context. In other words, what did the writer mean when they wrote it? In the culture and the context in which they wrote it. And metaphorical means not as a literal story, but that the text can have multiple depths of meaning. In reality, you know, we can't even really speak of God in any other way than metaphor, can we? I mean, God is so vast and immense and beyond our understanding that how can we talk about God any other way?
1: Oh, I can tell that we're already going to be stepping on some toes here, Chris. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Maybe we should change our name to Spiritual Director Stepping on Toes.
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I I wonder, you know, this is something that kind of popped up for me, but I wonder if if there's a way for to hold both of these together. Can we see it in a literal, factual way, but also historical, metaphorical? You know, can we say it's factual and has metaphors?
0: Um, I think there there is a there is a way to do that. Um, have you ever heard of the the Jewish method of interpretation called midrash?
1: No, tell me about it.
0: Um, I've learned about this recently from a friend, and uh, the the Hebrews and even and the, the the Jewish uh, rabbis even to today, I think, still practice this kind of way of of, of digging into scripture and wrestling with it and uh, debating it back and forth. And they have they have these four different levels of interpretation. Um, the first is called Peshat, which is basically, I think it would be closely related to the literal meaning. It's the plain, simple meaning of the text. Uh, whatever it says is, you know, the normal sense, which you would, which it would say it means, and then um, the next kind of level down would be the, uh, rames, which is the hint, and that is kind of what what is the hint that's el- alluded to in the the Bible. Um, what is the deeper meaning uh, that the words are trying to get across? And then there's darash, which is uh, the darash is kind of the exposition or the teaching or application of what the certain passage might mean. And then there's that, that deepest meaning, which is the, the sued and that the sued is the hidden or secret or mystical meaning of a, a passage of scripture. And so I think in that way of, of seeing the Bible in those four different levels, then you can see it in, um, both literal, factual, and historical, metaphorical. But knowing what's what is is really the challenge.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, have you read Rob Bell's book, What is the Bible?
0: No, I have not.
1: Uh, I highly recommend it. it um, he does talk about how the Jews used to read scripture and how uh, they uh, questioned it and dug into it and really read it in a different way that they were able to make connections from different parts of scripture like there was almost no way that you couldn't connect two totally random you know passages of of scripture and uh, um and so to be able to see how it all has a common theme and to be able to go back and look at these connections I think that's why you see in some of the gospels and even in in Matthew you know that you know Matthew quotes the old testament to kind of prove that jesus is the fulfillment of the old testament you know and so being able to look back and even though we you know now we know that that was the connection that was being made but at the time it would have potentially been like where are you pulling that out of you know that makes absolutely no sense but that is how they were taught to engage with their scriptures And I think we can learn a lot from, from trying to do that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: But we haven't been taught that that's okay, you know, to think critically and to practice that kind of digging in and, and to ask questions and, and see if there's connections there and whatnot. So I really think that we can learn a lot from reading the Bible like Jesus would have.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, that this gets into another topic, another idea that, Borg talks about, and that is the pre-critical naivete versus post-critical naivete. So, you know, I think this pre-critical naivete that he talks about, that's basically where we all start maybe as children, if we grow up in the church, you know, in, in early childhood. And then I'm reading from from Borg's book right now. Pre-critical naivete is an early childhood state in which we take it for granted that whatever the significant authority figures in our lives tell us to be true is indeed true true. So, you know, I can definitely remember when that was the way I viewed the Bible. Um, As a matter of fact, I probably stayed in that pre-critical naivety much longer than childhood. Um, I know I did. And, you know, that's how my son, who is six, would see the Bible stories that he learns about.
1: A little bit farther down, he says, it did not occur to me to wonder, now how much of this is historically factual and how much is metaphorical narrative? I simply heard the familiar stories as true. Moreover, it took no effort to do so. It did not require faith. I had no reason to think that these things were anything other than the stories that were reported.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really in- interesting about it did not require faith. Yeah. You know, I, that's that's um, that's a really bold statement. and And it kind of lines up though with, you know, some of those stages of faith development. Like we talked about, in one of our previous episodes um, and Fowler's stages of faith. You know, when when you're in that um, mythic, literal stage of faith in childhood, you know, things you just don't really have the ability even, um, you know, in your brain. Your brain development hasn't progressed to the point where you can see anything beyond literal.
1: I When I read that too, I thought, oh, it's never occurred to me to think that they weren't factual like there were some pieces you know like like I mentioned the Genesis story in Job where I was like oh that's a a metaphor or a parable um and Jesus spoke in a lot of parables but I I just believed it was history that Jesus said said the things that he said
0: yeah and I I did too for most of my life um you know so after this pre-critical naivete, he talks about how eventually in late childhood and early adolescence and sometimes um, later, it, after this pre-critical naivete stage, he talks about you go into um, the critical thinking phase of your life. That typically starts in late childhood or early adolescence. And he says here, in modern Western culture... Critical thinking is very much concerned with factuality and is thus deeply corrosive of religion in general and Christianity and the Bible in particular. Now it takes faith to believe them. He's talking about Bible stories. Now it takes faith to believe them, and faith becomes believing things that one would not. I'm sorry. Now it takes faith to believe them, and faith becomes believing things that one would normally reject. So you get to a point where your rational brain starts to think how in the world could the Red Sea part or how in the world could Jesus walk on water? But you, 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 you're told, at least in the churches that, you know, that I grew up in, you're told that faith means you have to believe those things, even though they're completely antithetical to, or antithetical to, you know, reality.
1: And then the church's response to the things that are outside of the laws of physics and whatnot are what you said earlier, Chris, that God can do whatever God wants to do. You know, God
0: is higher than our ways. God
1: is outside of physics. God created physics. And so God can mold the laws of physics all that God wants to.
0: And defy the laws of physics, yeah.
1: (laughs) Which I think, you know, as a math and science person myself, I think that's pretty cool. I wish that I could do that. But um But I'm not God, you know, and so that is, you know, that's very much, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of like waving off the things that don't make sense and just saying, oh, well, Mm -hmm. God can do whatever God wants to do, you know, and if that is a if that is helpful for you in your relationship with God, then like, I love that for you. But if it's not helpful, if you do have more questions and want to go deeper, I just want to say on this podcast as well, that God can handle that. God is still going Mm -hmm. to be God at the end of the day, whatever that looks like for, for, for all of us. And so, um, if that is helpful for you to say, God can do whatever he wants to do, go for it, you know, but if you do have questions, then keep listening.
0: (laughs) That's right. Questions are good. So, yeah, I mean, I think after you, you have spent your time in the critical phase, then then hopefully um, you will move to this post-critical naivete. Borg says, It's the ability to hear the biblical stories once again as true stories, even as one knows that they may not be factually true and that their truth does not depend on their factuality. Um Richard Rohr has a really great quote that I I love, and I have I repeat it as often as I can. He says, he's talking about the Bible. He says, it's all true, and some of it actually happened.
1: <laughs> uh, and I think that's something that we can hold also. You know, what does that's that right. look like?
0: Yeah, I love here he gives a line from uh, the Native American storytelling. It says, now, I don't know if it happened this way or not, but I know this story is true, you know, and and to be able to hold that paradox is, um, is really powerful.
1: Well, and then that would make sense as to why there's four different accounts of the life of Jesus. And actually there's several more accounts of the life of Jesus. They just didn't, you know, make it into the, the canon that we have today. So there's, again, there's a lot of different ways. We don't know which one is completely accurate, and that's okay to hold that as well.
0: So ultimately, Borg says you have to decide for yourself whether you see the Bible as a divine product, you know, essentially written by God, dictated to man, or is it a human product? And there's quite a difference between the two, and Borg says you really have to choose one. You have to say that it's either all a divine product or all a human product.
1: And I want to push back and say, uh, can it be both? <laughs> you know, like the whole, like a good spiritual director. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but you know, yes, obviously, it was a human product that humans wrote it. But what does that mean to also put in the? You know, what does it mean to also say that it was inspired? You know, so can it can it be both? That that's my pushback on you, Marcus Borg.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I like the idea of inspiration i think that is definitely true about the bible what we have made the word inspiration to be i think is not the way it is i think you know we we think inspiration means literally dictated by god but and i i think inspiration means you know in the same way that you that one would be inspired to write a poem or compose a song you know you you see something happening You know, these guys who wrote the Bible and these women who wrote the Bible saw something happening with their experience with God and they were, they were moved to write it down. That's inspiration.
1: Yep. And, uh, you know, thinking of it in terms of poems and songs and whatnot, um, you know, if you, uh, it's really boring to like just put music to just a, um, a monotone piece of history You know, like to make it I don't want to say that they had to make it interesting, but if they were thinking of this as poetry to help them explain what they saw um, and how they could see God in it, then um, then yes, you have to be a little bit more flowery with your your words and to use images and pictures, even if it doesn't match up perfectly. And I think that's probably what Mm -hmm. they were doing. Um Borg says that the Bible tells us about how they the ancient people and writers how they saw things not about how God sees things. And uh, um the first time I read that I was like, "Oh, yes." And then I went, "Wait, am I allowed to think that? Am I allowed to believe that?" You know, like there was this kind of like <gasps> that rose up in me a little bit of like nervousness. And I thought, you know, I can't say that out loud anywhere. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I'm reminded of something that we learned in treatment and recovery was they said to us all the time, they said, you did the best you could with the tools that you had. And so I Mm -hmm. wonder how much of what we read in the old and the new covenant that what they were writing down was doing the best they could to explain the things that they saw with the tools that they had.
0: Right. Yeah. Borg says that the bible contains ancient israel's perceptions and misperceptions of what life with god involves just as it contains the early christian movements perceptions and misperceptions yep and so that's that's seeing the bible in a completely different way than most you know most churches would see it today the misperceptions part you know yeah what do you mean that there's things in there that might not be true about god's character
1: yeah
0: well these are human beings writing down what they thought at the time.
1: Peter Enns talks about this in his book, The Bible Tells Me So, which if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And he actually kind of talks about this idea of um, looking back on what was happening in the context of culture uh, in Joshua when the tribes are going in and taking over lands and it's like mass genocide of the people that are already there. Um, Because that's something that a lot of people look at the Bible and go, oh, I can't believe in a God that would do that. But if you see the Bible as a human product, then you would understand that because it was oral tradition for so long, it was in a lot of ways it, this could have been the product of like a game of telephone, you know, where you, uh, uh over time, it just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger and changes. And the winners, the victors always are the ones that got to tell the story. And so we're seeing, we're understanding what happened in that time from the the perception of the winners. And uh, then mm-hmm. over time, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it may have been that there was, you know, 25 people in the village at the time, and they just kind of, you know, uh, merged with the the Israelites that were moving in, you know. But, you know, 2,000 years later or whatever, oh, there was this big war and they killed, you know, 5,000 people and took over their lands. And so that Mm -hmm. helps to see it through the perception of that. This is a human product as well, or it speaks to that at least. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think it also speaks to the, you know, we talked about spiral dynamics and how we have these different stages of, of evolution of consciousness. And it could also be that, that culture of Israel was in a very warrior stage mentality. And so, you know, they, that's just the way they were. And therefore, they thought God was also that way.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense.
0: Because, you know, I think I think we all know that we make God in our own image and then we worship the God that we make in our own image, you know. So if we think God is a warrior, we become a warrior.
1: Yeah. Um, And that is something that is really common to talk about in spiritual direction is What is your view of God? What does that tell you Mm -hmm. about who God is? And uh, does that seem to fit? You know, does that seem to Mm -hmm. make sense? And is there another option or is there a way to offer another image of God that fits more into what truly makes sense for for God, the creator of the world and the universe?
0: Right. And that a lot of times comes down to how they view the Bible. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if, if it's just, you know, inerrant word of God, then what they, how they view God is going to be exactly what they read in the Bible. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, Borg says that in order to really, um, to see the Bible for what it is, we need to develop new lenses to see that Bible today. And there are different, different reasons why he says we need to develop new lenses. One of the reasons he brings up is religious pluralism. And he says, we are aware of the world's religions in a way that most people have not been for most of human history, even as recently as a century ago. And so he goes on, thus many of us find the exclusivistic claims of the Christian tradition impossible to accept. And this, is, I, I think this is funny here. He says, does it make sense that the creator of the whole universe would be known in only one religious tradition, which fortunately just happens to be our own.
1: That's so true, and I think that is very. Um, I think every religion believes that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, right. You have you have the true God, and you have the the way to the true God.
1: Aren't you glad um, that you guessed right? You know, <laughs> right.
0: And and it's really. It's it has more of a function of where you are born Mm -hmm. in the world and in history. You know, if I was born in India, I would have been Hindu. If I was born in China, I would have been Buddhist. But I was born in twenty-first or twentieth century America, so of course I'm gonna be Christian. The next reason that Borg says we're gonna need a new lens to see the Bible is because of historical and cultural relativity. He says we are aware that how people think is pervasively shaped by the time and place in which they live as well as by social and economic class and you know i could see that in my own life i was born and raised in the south and a in a middle class white family um and you know in the bible belt it's just all of these things are part of who i am and how i believe and well it's it's been part of of how I believed up until recently. And I have now been actively trying to, to break out of that and see things in a different way. Like how do I see things in a different way than just a white, you know, a white guy in who grew up in the South. And that's, that's not easy, but um, it's work that I have to do.
1: Yeah, Chris, I think that's totally true. Uh, I can see that in my life as well. Um, I was raised um, in San Francisco in an LGBTQ plus affirming household. And so, uh, you know, it was ingrained in me from the beginning of my life that that who you are is who you are and um, who you love is who you love. And so, you know, I could see how that can kind of butt heads when it comes to, you know, for me moving to the South and becoming a Christian.
0: Yeah. So. Borg says that people are all conditioned by and relative to the time and place in which they originated and so we <clears throat> we have to be suspicious that any collection of teachings can be absolute truth or the only truth just as we are suspicious of attempts to exempt anything from this category so this you know just goes back to show, showing that the people who wrote the Bible were products of their time, just like we are products of our time. Yeah. And then he goes on also to talk about modernity and postmodernity. Um, and modernity, of course, is, you know, characterized by scientific ways of knowing um, the scientific process, um, the enlightenment. Um, it's also marked by you know, this, this modern worldview, which he also calls the Newtonian worldview, uh, the modern worldview is based on scientific ways of knowing. And so the more that we learn about uh, the world and the creation, the universe, through scientific studies, you know, the more we realize that the way it's described in the Bible may not be completely accurate. And then postmodernity is marked by the realization that modernity itself is culturally conditioned and relative historical construction and so it's also marked by this return to it experience and we talked about that in our spiral dynamics episode how you know after you kind of get through this modernity phase you realize you you want something that's got more meaning to it and so you come back to this you you go you move then into this postmodernity phase um, it's marked by this realization that stories can be true without being literally and factually true.
1: Yeah. And I think that that was really the biggest issue, you know, during the enlightenment was, you know, churches were so scared to uh, embrace science, you know, and uh, because it seemed to be proving everything that they believed wrong. When I would say, again, you know, as, as a good spiritual director, can it be both, you know, can you have a, can the Bible be true, but not factually true, you know? um, And, uh, and I think that, you know, I like to say, you know, science actually taught us how God made the things, you know, made the world instead of uh, uh, keeping it separate that they can't coexist together. Um, But he also points out, that in this section, you know, about modernity is that um, faith is not about the Bible being true. You know, faith is actually goes back to your relationship with God. So uh, what does that look like? And, you know, having the Bible secondary to your faith, you know, to have faith in, in God and who God is, first and foremost, have a relationship with God and having your relationship with God be the filter through which you read the Bible.
0: I think that's a good segue into talking about some of these metaphors that Borg offers for seeing the Bible. And, you know, you were talking about um, using our relationship with God as um, a a filter through which we see the Bible. Um, That's one of them. He calls it Bible as lens. And I think, you know, the Bible can be a lens through which we look, but Um, but really, as you said, our relationship with God is, is the lens through which we need to look at the Bible. And I even, you know, a lot of people are now saying we need to read the Bible through the lens of Christ. And so, you know, that is a different lens of, of seeing the Bible as well. Another metaphor that he offers is, uh, he calls it finger pointing to the moon, which he gets from the Buddhist tradition. And he says uh, Buddhists often speak of the teaching of the Buddha as a finger pointing to the moon. So in other words, you know, the Buddha is, is pointing to something greater than himself. And to apply this metaphor to the Bible, the Bible is like a finger pointing to the moon. Christians sometimes make the mistake of thinking that being Christian is about believing in the finger rather than seeing the Christian life as a relationship to that which the finger points, and I've heard that also described in, in other places as um, the Bible is the map to a location or a treasure. And instead of you know actually going to where the Bible is pointing, the treasure or the destination, you worship the map itself.
1: In my church history class, we talked a little bit about that. Actually, that. Uh, The Reformation was actually the thing that shifted um, the, the, uh, the going from the moon to the finger and in the, you know, Catholic tradition, you know, every, every uh, mass kind of culminates in the, uh, in communion in the Eucharist. And so everything that they do in the entire mass is pointing its way to communion, which is about relationship with Jesus but then the Reformation happened and they actually started pointing to the Bible instead. And so that's why a lot of Protestant uh, church services culminate with uh, the sermon, you know, because it's about the Bible. It's, it's, and so to me, I think that perfectly, you know, describes that we moved, you know, from the moon to the to worshiping the finger or worshiping the map.
0: The last metaphor is Bible as sacrament, and he's, he um, kind of equates this with um, the Christian sacrament of the Eucharist. He says, when, when one sees Christianity as a sacrament of the sacred, being Christian is not about believing in Christianity. That would be like believing in the bread and wine of the Eucharist, rather than letting the bread and wine do their sacramental work of mediating the presence of Christ. So to be Christian is to live within the Christian tradition as a sacrament and let it do its transforming work within and among us. So I kind of see that as, because, you know, the, the, the Eucharist itself is such a mystical or mysterious thing. I don't know, because because the Bible has, as I said, has done so much and caused so much harm in the way people have interpreted it that... Um, you know, just letting it kind of sit and do its work on you, I think can be dangerous. But, you know, if you take it and see it in a different way, as Borg is describing, then I guess maybe there's less of a chance of that happening.
1: I wonder if this might be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I wonder if this might kind of fit into the idea of icons from um, Eastern uh, Orthodox Christianity. Uh, where they use, um, you know, images and, you know, religious sculptures and paintings and whatnot to kind of pray through the icon. Um, So because it teaches you something about God, about Jesus, and, uh, um, and allowing that to uh, uh, be the, the thing that God uses to help you connect with God. And so you're not worshiping the idol, you're worshiping, I'm sorry, you're not worshiping, you're not worshiping the icon itself, but you are worshiping through it. So it kind of is the, it can be used as like a key that kind of opens the door to mm-hmm. God to teach you something new. So I wonder if that might be a more modern, um, it'd be like the message version of Bible as sacrament.
0: <laughs> I think that's, that's definitely um, can be a way of of seeing the Bible
1: you know, a lot of this actually kind of makes me think of, uh, um, you know, there's a pastor in Atlanta uh, named Andy Stanley who uh, talks about this a, a few times a year, I feel like. And I, he wrote a book, um, and there's a whole curriculum at the church that's based around this. And um, he says this often that, you know, our faith, a lot of people put their faith in the Bible, but our faith is not rooted in the Bible. Our faith is rooted in the person of Jesus. And uh, so uh, when you hear the idea of, uh, you know, Oh, once somebody lets go of the Bible, you know, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. And that is, you know, that doesn't happen if your faith is first and foremost rooted in God or in Jesus. Um, because if the Bible goes, that's only secondary, you know? And so if you shift your view of the Bible to be one of these, you know, a lot of people would call them, you know, heresies to be one of these heretical views of the Bible, um, you know, that you're going to lose your faith. But if your faith is first and foremost rooted in the person of Jesus, then your faith doesn't go because the Bible, because your perception, because your, your filter, your lens of the Bible has changed. Um, And that was, you know, kind of, I feel like a lot of reading this book and seeing these different lenses because they were somewhat new to me, because we don't talk about these things in, in, in most, you know, evangelical churches, um, you know, I've, I've always kind of been okay with, with viewing pieces of the Bible as metaphorical, but seeing the Bible as a whole through a metaphorical lens, um, you know, part of me again, is kind of like, am I allowed to be okay with this? You know, what if it is all a lie? Like, what does that, does that change my, my faith in Jesus? And for me, it doesn't because my faith isn't in the Bible, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Cause yeah. If you think about it how how did people know god before we had the bible in its current form yeah you know there was so many other ways to know god nature i mean as the you know richard rohr says the franciscans say nature was the first bible because it speaks about the grandeur of god and then you know, even after the bible was was compiled in its current form you know the vast majority of people didn't even have a copy of it until the invention of the printing press. So, you know, to be able to, to say that without the Bible, our faith would be naught is disingenuous.
1: Yeah. Because, you know, again, yeah, people had 300 plus years of, of uh, being in relationship with Jesus before there was a Bible, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. they had however many, uh, you know, uh, Borg talks a little bit about the history of when the different, uh, books or, you know, stories of the old Testament were written. And a lot of them were only like 500 BC, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't actually, you know, 2,500 BC or whenever Moses lived. And that's an incorrect quote, but, um, the, you know, it wasn't thousands of years. It wasn't written thousands of years before Jesus. It was written, in a lot of ways, sometimes in between, you know, during that 400 years of God's silence, that's when they started writing the Hebrew scriptures.
0: And as he says that uh, all of these letters that Paul wrote to the different churches were all written before any of the gospels were written. So, you know, Paul is, is writing to these churches based on information that we have, but he did not have. And so how did, you know, how did he know what to, to write to them um, without having Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, sitting in front of him. Um, but it just goes to show that there were vibrant Christ communities um, even before the Gospels were written, and, and you know, Paul's letters proves that.